podcaster's note. This episode of Where to Begin with Jallo features heavy spoilers of the movie Spasmo from 1974. If you've never seen the movie before, or are looking forward to participating in this series by submitting a review for Spasmo, please pause the show and go and check out the movie first. If you've seen it before, you can continue and listen on. Don't say you weren't warned. I killed him. I killed the man at the motel. I killed him. I can't accuse you of killing ghosts in the night. Who am I to say that any killing took place? Ghosts in the night. I'm not a strong woman, Christian. You must help yourself. I've been living in a nightmare since yesterday. And you, Malcolm, are part of that nightmare. Nightmare. Listen, if you're afraid everyone around you is your enemy, you better just disappear. What else can you do? Do you need her help or don't you trust her? I found you here, and you two are very real. Mad, mad and dangerous. Always. Are you sure this intruder wasn't a woman? But I have to know. I must know now. Christian! He won't go far. Welcome back to another episode of Where to Begin with this season looking through the lens of the subgenre Giallo. This is our fourth episode in the series, and we are on the trail of continuing a journey of exploration 
entertainment and education into a subgenre which has, let's be honest, found a bit of a renaissance recently with labels putting out fancy 2K and 4K restorations of some of the best known jelly out there and some weird, strange little oddities that are making their way for high definition viewing. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and yeah, this is this is us already at movie number four. An exciting prospect because we're already tantalisingly close to the halfway mark. On the previous episode we looked at A Lizard in a Woman's Skin and we will be listening to your reviews of that movie at the end of the show. But I thought it was time to... Uh, get a bit more experimental and a bit out there because thus far we've been playing things fairly safe. We started way back on episode one looking at Bird with a Crystal Plumage which as I said on that episode is really the Rosetta Stone for following the Jallo subgenre as we know it. It's the movie that put the subgenre on the map made it very popular and inspired a ton of almost replicas, certainly homages and downright plagiarism within the country itself as Giallo became hot shit and you got tons of those movies over a very short period. We have, however, since then jumped back before to what would arguably be one of the more influential works on Argento himself in Blood and Black Lace and then took a look at another name who is synonymous with 70s exploitation, giallo and Italian horror cinema and Lucio Fulci in his movie Lizard in a Woman's Skin. I thought it was time on this episode to go down a more mysterious plot setting because in all the other movies thus far, the mystery, the whodunit aspect has been there for sure and we played around with those themes but the killers themselves are for the most part fairly self-explanatory. Their introduction and explanation is usually divvied out in short order and then in tall order at the end as we get their motivation, their backstory and, and all the various bits and bobs that would leave the audience either scratching their head in complete confusement um, or walking out the cinema going, I knew it, that's the guy I had pegged from the start. Which is why the movie I've chose for this month, Spasmo from 1974, is a completely different order altogether. This is a movie that I genuinely think surprises most people at first when they realise who the director is, but it's also one of the more unabashed mystery movies within the genre. This one revels in just the mystery aspect. The body count is not necessarily all that high and even then the actual tropes themselves that we would quantify with a giallo killer are kind of few and far between. No ladies and gents, this is a movie that revels in absolute absurdity from the poster artwork at the time which is festooned with mannequins and teethy breasts, I think is a nice way to say it. But it's also a movie that in itself has a wonderfully bizarre setup and a whole lot of trying to work out what exactly is going on throughout this movie. It's one where you are, so to speak, on one track and then you move over to the other track and then back over to this track 
trying to work out exactly what the motivations of our killer are, if we should be fully trusting of our protagonist, and why is everyone around him there with an ulterior motive? Suffice to say that when we talk about this movie, it is a great place to start by talking about Umberto Lenzi, the guy who is behind the camera. Now, Umberto Lenzi is a weird one for sure, a guy who really cut his chops doing pretty much every subgenre in Italian cinema. He is more kind of commonly known as the guy that would do Cannibal Ferox, which is a shame if that is all you know this man for. Cannibal Ferox is widely regarded as a kind of plagiarised copy of Cannibal Holocaust, which came out the year before. And Lenzi himself uh, is known for doing a couple of cannibal horror movies, for sure. What a lot of people don't know is he was doing them well before as well. He has one of the earliest, if not the earliest, entry in the Italian cannibal subgenre. Um, in history. This is one of the first and then would take almost a decade before he would come back and have another crack at it. But this guy had a run of movies in the 70s uh, which are of the Jallo persuasion. Also the late 60s so he was kind of doing it before Argento found his swing as well. Where we land with Spasmo is probably on the cusp of the tail end of the biggest boom. By 74, the genre itself was starting to lose the steam that had accrued some two to three years before, and audience members were looking for the next big thing. The morph would take place away from the out-and-out Jallo formula to something a bit more vicious and more akin to Slasher, all you have to do is look at a movie like Torso from Sergio Martino to see that change was already in effect. Even Mario Bava doing Bay of Blood, aka Twitch of the Death Nerve, had started to make that transition himself away from the out-and-out Giallo formula. But the Italian output would move more into the police procedural. We would still have the mystery, the murder, the intrigue, the fashion, the women, the glamour, the glitz, but we would have it through a different lens. Instead of these makeshift amateur detectives trying to solve the mystery themselves, instead we'd be following the police getting involved with the investigations and the crimes early on. Umberto Lenzi is right on that knife edge of getting a movie which can still put forward the amateur detective, but at the same time be in a position where it doesn't feel too cliched and most of that comes down to the very unique story that this movie centres on. We are following a man of some wealth and some mystery as he very quickly ditches his we assume girlfriend who may or may not be pregnant in favour of this mysterious woman he finds on a beach, washed up. He is infatuated by her and starts a relationship only to find very early on that a hitman tries to assassinate him. Manages to get the gun off the hitman and kill the hitman outright by accident. Upon coming to the realisation he's committed murder and instead of doing the right thing which is phone the police... His new girl uh, convinces him that it might be a good idea to go on the run, and on the run they go. However, this guy, this body, this assassin has vanished, which starts to make our hero think 
that maybe not all is as he thought. He is an unreliable protagonist who at times feels borderline crazy or manic. Is there some sort of game afoot here? Think of movies like The Game with Michael Douglas um, and there's a liking to that one later on that we'll get to where we kind of link back up to that idea. Or is this a case of some sort of Machiavellian mystery in the background with a puppet master pulling strings? What's really interesting about Spasmo is not only the fact that it deals out a bit of violent mischief to boot, but the fact that from about the halfway mark, it's kind of evident where things are going, but there is no real explanation. And that's because Lindsay himself revels in the mystery aspect and not necessarily about much else. Interspliced in scenes randomly selected throughout the movie, you will find these mannequins which have been mutilated. Um, they've been cut up, knives stabbed into their breasts and, and festooned as this ominous kind of signposting throughout the movie that you think you might have an idea of what is going on until the final reveal kind of knocks you on your ass a little bit. The movie carries on with our protagonist being stalked by the assassin he thought he murdered, eventually getting the better hand in killing him himself in a very violent and vicious scene where he accidentally drives over him three times, that's right, three times, uh, before disposing of the body and faking his own death and ultimately coming to the conclusion that there's a plot behind the scenes from his very wealthy brother who has inherited the family's fortune. This is where the game aspect that I mentioned earlier on comes in. See, his brother wants him locked up, put away uh, in a psychiatric ward and out of his hair for either treatment or for good. And he's employed some people, including uh, this mysterious washed up woman, as his bait to put his brother through this interesting game of cat and mouse in order to break his sanity and give the the medical profession all the excuse that they need to put the straight jacket on him and put him in the giggle farm. Now, it's safe to say that that plan doesn't exactly work out the way you would have thought. And there are another couple of twists and bumps in the road that are very satisfying, to say the least. But where this movie really levels up is at the end, where, and this is the big spoiler, it's revealed that sure enough, our protagonist is a bit crazy. And not only is he a bit crazy, but he's the guy that's been murdering all the girls. He is, however, not the guy that has been mutilating the mannequins. That turns out, is his brother's thing. His brother, instead of killing women, is mutilating and destroying these female mannequins, uh, basically showing that the two brothers are very alike, that have these these uh, kind of psychosexual tendencies in the background, except one of them can't control himself and attacks flesh, where the other one has found an outlet in the mannequins themselves. Um, it's a wonderful reveal. It's bonkers, but the movie's bonkers. This is a movie called Spasmo, first and foremost. Um, and it has a ton of intrigue, twists and weaves and winds all the way through. 
It is one of the more uniquely fun, bizarre, and at times well-crafted mysteries in the Jallo subgenre. A lot of Jallos that you would see about this time period were either just straight down the middle kind of murder mysteries with very little flair, or become so ostentatious in their way of trying to craft together and deliver the final shock um, that they would make sell them to, to little sense at all. Um, it's kind of famous that the subgenre itself would be classed as having the Scooby-Doo ending of, you know, the person that you saw for two frames at the beginning of the movie is revealed as the master criminal at the end. That's not the case here. Um, our killer has been under our nose the whole time and actually very akin to the movie we spoke about last month, um, the killer has been underneath our nose all the way through the movie. It's been the character that we've been following through and actually rooting for for most of the movie itself. It's a clever little twist and it shares a little bit of DNA with that one, although this one is far more interested in being uh, sporadic and at times completely disorientating mystery. But it doesn't patronise the audience by the end. If anything, it goes out its way to explain exactly what has gone on in the movie and exactly the motivations behind the characters. A rarity in this subgenre, to say the least. Umberto Lenzi directs the shit out of this movie. It looks absolutely stunning. There's playful use of camera, um, specifically in emoting tension. There's all the things you expect from a Lenzi movie. Plenty of close-ups out of nowhere. Um, it's a call mark to the, the, the great director himself as those crazy up-close-and-personal zooms to the face. He loves a bit of that. It's also scored by Ennio Morricone, who at this point is, you know, well kind of saddled with doing the work here, doing the job. Um, he delivers one of the more memorable um, Jallo scores of this time. I actually really like it. I think it works incredibly well. On top of that as well, you have some great casting, some really, really, really great casting here um, with Robert Hoffman, our main kind of, our main guy trying to to work out what is going on in his head. Uh, Susie Kendall plays Barbara. Susie Kendall is, you know, a staple of, of cinema at this time period in Italy. And um, I cannot overstate how beautiful she is. She's absolutely stunning on screen. Uh, but you also get um, a great performance by Aizen Razumov, uh, who I think personally is like one of the main reasons to watch this movie kind of hands down. So it's got a great cast, a great story as well, which which serves it well for sure. Um, you, when watching this movie, are treated to what can only be described as a plethora, a plethora, as I would like to say on my other show, of great script writing here by Pino Baller, uh, who actually did the story himself, to wonderful direction, to great acting, to great score. It is a playful, bizarre, strange and at times wonderfully unique little giallo that if you've never seen before, I think it is time you rectify that for sure. It's definitely moving away from a lot of the tropes that we've set out, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that Argento kind of solidified in Bird with a Crystal Plumage for sure. 
But this one is not one that is kind of tightrope walking in and out with this genre. This one is certainly, most certainly, 100% a giallo. Yes, there are no gloved killers walking around with knives, although there are rather vicious looking scissors uh, on display within the movie. And, you know, we don't have a lot of the, the bigger tropes that follow that subgenre, but it certainly fits comfortably within it. As one that, once you have seen, not only can you say you've seen an Umberto Lenzi Giallo, which he did quite a few, but none of them are spoke with the reverence that I personally feel they should be. But at the same time, you're now expanding your horizons out and dealing with other ones. Next month's movie, which I'm going to mention shortly after your reviews of Lizard and a Woman's Skin, is going to stretch those boundaries out once more before we can track them back in for a few episodes going across uh, what I would class as picture-perfect giallo that um, doesn't stray too far from the path but is executed with precision um, and then close out this season in December with one of the more bonkers entries for sure. But yeah, what I'm looking for you, ladies and gents, is to let me know what you make of Spasmo. It is available on Blu-ray in the UK. If you are over here, you can pick that one up. 88 Films has the Blu-ray for that. In the States, I'm not sure who is responsible, so it's up to you guys to try and track that down, get it viewed and let us know. Your deadline date for submitting in reviews of Spasmo to be read out in the show is Thursday the 16th of July. The episode is scheduled to drop on Sunday the 19th of July. So Thursday the 16th, I'm looking for your review of Spasmo. Have you seen it before? If so, how is this viewing held up? If this is a first time, what did you make of it? I'm really interested to find out what you guys made in the movie. So submit them in. Email me at uh, tputzcast at gmail.com or podcast under the stairs at gmail.com. Get those reviews in for Thursday 16th of July. Right, let's turn our attention to the reviews submitted for Lizard in a Woman's Skin, the movie covered last month. And let's start by doing a review submitted in from Kate Pollock, who is returning with a little review on Lizard in a Woman's Skin. She says, Hey Duncan, hope you and the family are doing well and keeping sane. Here is my review of A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. So firstly, I need to shout out Court Psyops of Cinema Psyops podcast for sorting me out a copy of this movie as I couldn't find it anywhere. So thank you very much for that, bud. Now, on to the movie itself. So this was another first watch for me. Within five minutes, you have sex and nudity. Our main character, Carol, is pushing through a literal orgy of bo- uh, bodies on a train and then finds a lovely blonde lady and they proceed to have sex. Well, ain't that a way to open a movie? What I noticed about these erotic scenes was they were shot specifically to denote a dreamscape. Bright colours, loud hypnotic and distorted music, close-up of faces, skin and body parts, everything all together makes it quite disorientating. Everything is heightened to reflect the decadence and excitement that Carol feels whilst in her fantasies and dreams, or her recollections, wink wink, nudge nudge. Contrast that with the reality parts of the film, where most of the characters are more conservative, prudish, and although affairs are to be had, 
are certainly not engaged with in extreme lifestyles of sex and drugs uh, that was brought forward by the sexual revolution of the 60s that had just finished when this film was released. The cinematography and costumes for this world uh, are used in a muted palette, all earthy tones, and throughout the score is prominent. It's more in keeping with what we would expect from a movie, orchestral, slow down, etc. However, that distorted score reoccurs during the scenes of danger or where elements of Carol's dreams are on the screen. For example, when she follows the hippies down the street. I really like the themes portrayed in this movie. I feel that there's a lot you could take from them, but the main thing was that they spoke to me that this idea of not being who you really are and how this can trap you and create a negative impact on your life. Carol was living a double life that threatened to come out and rather than just accepting who she is, she was confined by her societal expectations and fear of repercussions of this secret being revealed. Rather than face that, she commits murder and initiates this spiral of death that ultimately she can't escape from anyway. Her secret is revealed both uh, yet revealed of both murder and sexual engagements, and she loses everything as a result. The hippies, who in contrast live this free lifestyle, are sucked into the situation by Carol's fear of, again, being caught out. They had no idea what they were witnessing, but unfortunately get caught up in their own fear of being accused of murder, and ironically end up committing murder to escape prosecution, which obviously doesn't work. Secrets and lies are common themes within Jali, but I like that here it shows it can corrupt regardless of lifestyle. The fact that each world represents in this film is so diverse and contrasts much in their portrayal, I feel only further emphasises this point. Moving on, there are genuinely some creepy moments, such as the dream sequence with the grey faces. Really unsettling. The gore is also really well done in this movie. The stab wounds on Julie Durer's or the evisceration of Joan and also the dogs. I read that there was a court case because people believed the dog scene was real. Nowadays, you can tell it's fake, but it's still unnerving imagery nonetheless. The camera focuses in on the dog's open stomachs and holds a shot, forcing you to look. The subtle movements of the organs pumping and the sound of the dog's whimpering is really effective, especially as most people find animal violence hard to watch anyway. The close-up on Julie Dorer's clotted stab wounds also linger so you can see the skill in which these wounds were created, especially for the time. Although while stabbing and things are going on, you have the classic giallo bright red blood. These wounds are far more realistic and graphic than, and I was very impressed by the effects all round. I really enjoy the unreliable narrator that they have going on here with Carol. You follow the journey with Inspector Corvin and every turn has you questioning whether she says it's real or not, even though you see what she is seeing, for example with the dogs, as though it was reality, and by the end, you're left wondering whether actually she was just losing it after the murder. On that note, I thought the reference to psycho analogy fairly progressive for its time, considering that during the 60s and 70s, having therapy still had a lot of stigma attached to it. Carol manipulating that system to her own ends was clever, but still I liked how Corvin saw through it, 
and as it was like an acknowledgement that psychology shouldn't be taken advantage of in that way. I thought the acting overall was really good. You could argue Carol was a bit one level, but I think that's just her character and her attempt at a poker face. The one character I found annoying was Joan. Can't even tell you why, but she just irritated me and I didn't care for her until she died. Uh, Sorry, not sorry. I also enjoyed the similarities to other films. For example, the scene where Carol's being chased at the clinic has a moment where we see the shadow of a man behind a white curtain raising his arms, holding a sharp implement. I think scissors rather than a knife, which was very reminiscent of Psycho, another film which deals with our killer potentially having split personalities, although unlike here, Norman Bates is actually insane. Another strong example where Carol again is being chased, uh, this time at Alexandra Palace, uh, and she piles up suitcases to reach the high exit, is very similar to a scene in Suspiria from some six years later, where Sarah does the same with boxes, which cannot be a coincidence. A few quick other mentions before I wrap up. The costumes in this are gorgeous. From the hippie aesthetics with wools and jewels, um, which rhymes by the way, and I love Jenny's hair so wild, to the high couture of Carol, each look representing their station in society. Mrs Gordon is my hero. She's literally in it for about two minutes and I love her. Everything about her cracked me up. Her lavish costume, that she's sleeping with her chauffeur and she's so flirty with him. That she's such a gossip is brilliant. Actual goals. Inspector Corvin was also hilarious as he had this really dry wit and each one of his dry remarks made me laugh. Overall, I thought this movie was very well paced. A fun and intriguing mystery with lots of twists and turns. And although the body count isn't as high as some other jellos, the gore is very effective and frequent. I'd definitely go back and watch this again. And I think, considering the twist, it's worthwhile doing on a second watch. It could be very interesting to see Carol's reactions and responses to things. I can't give it a 5 out of 5 right now. One or two characters did annoy me and some bits I had to go back and re-watch as the dubbing was a little unclear at times, but I did very much enjoy it. It's a 4 out of 5 for me uh, for now with potential to go up higher upon repeat viewings. Again, thanks very much Duncan for bringing us an exciting and interesting viewing and I'm excited for the next one. Thank you very much for that review Kate, always great to hear from you, always great to hear your insight. And um, I'm sure, I am almost 100% sure, knowing your love of the unreliable narrator, you're going to have a ball with Spasmo. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that next month. Okay, let's turn to our next review, which of course is an audio review and comes in from our longtime friend, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and T-Puts Collective fans. David Garrett Jr. here back. Just wanted to submit an audio clip for my thoughts on a lizard in woman's skin. Now, when I saw that you had selected this one, Fulci is a director that I've seen most of his heavy hitters, but for whatever reason, I had not gotten around to seeing this Giallo film from him. But it was one that I had heard about on podcasts, so it had been on my list for some time. So I'm glad that you gave me an opportunity to, you know, give it a viewing. And, I mean, I don't really need a reason to justify it, but it definitely made me want to see it so I could contribute this clip here. Now what I find interesting about this one is that I could tell from the beginning of it that it was a dream sequence, which I thought was pretty interesting, and I like how 
we have this character of Carol Hammond, who is, you know, having this dream about her neighbor of Julia During. And what makes this quite interesting to me is that from the get-go, I felt there was some lesbian undertones that were going on. And then it's kind of interesting that as everything plays out, that proves to be the case that she was actually having an affair with this young woman. But what I like about this giallo here is something that I don't know if I've seen yet in this subgenre is that they literally tell us who the killer is in the first 30 minutes or so after the murder happens and they accuse her because of the fact that her her letter opener as well as her fur coat are in that room but because of who she is this can't possibly be the case and then from that point they keep introducing us to different red herrings and I almost like how her husband who was having an affair ends up becoming pretty much the main suspect after that point but it's him trying to prove that he isn't the one that did the killer because I do know a lot of times with the tropes here, and then you get to see this in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, is that the police aren't necessarily the best detective, so they are using our main character or one of our main characters to help them solve it. I like that that's not the case, is that the police are doing a pretty thorough job of everything here. It's just that the prime suspect ends up becoming Frank Hammond, who is trying to convince everybody that he didn't do the killing, so he's the one that's helping to investigate this. And then with the title itself, I thought that was pretty intriguing as well for the fact that everything that we're getting to see that is recounted as a dream is actually things that Carol is experiencing. And this includes seeing the two hippies in the form of Jenny and Hubert. She is seeing them having almost whited out eyes, which is kind of creepy. And she is the one going about trying to kind of cover her tracks here because she thinks these two are able to identify her but we get to learn that that's not really the case because they were so high on drugs they didn't even actually know what happened here and i do have to say one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit was that frank having a daughter of joan the actress looked to be a lot older than what i was feeling i end up looking up the age differences and it has is legitimately possible that that could be his daughter if he you know, had a kid pretty young age. And I mean, with movie, you can kind of play with that a little bit. So this is just a personal problem I have. Not really anything with the movie itself. And coming in, I expected this to be a lot more violent and bloody than what we got, knowing Fulci and some of his later films, especially things like the Gates of Hell trilogy or Cat in a Brain, which are way more violent and gory. Where this one, we really do get that with the kill, as I do love the prosthetic that is used for Julia's death, where we can actually see the knife being stabbed in, and I love that they do an extreme close-up to make it look even more realistic. But we really don't get a whole lot of blood, as this really is a mystery of trying to figure out who did it, and I believe there's only the one murder in the whole movie itself, but we do have Carol being hunted by different people, so that is something as well that I found to be pretty intriguing to only have that one death. And then the... Black Glove Killer actually ends up becoming try to cover up the crime and to almost blackmail. And there's also the other aspect there where Carol's father gets a call and accuses his son-in-law of committing adultery to his daughter. And it turns out the call that he got actually isn't insinuating what he thinks it is. It's actually Julia trying to let him know that her daughter is the one that's also having an affair with her in a lesbian relationship as it seems like this would cause great scandal because he is a government official and her husband works for him in a pretty prominent role. So those are all the things that I really just wanted to kind of touch on what I thought about this film. It's much different than I would say the other two that have been used here. 
in how it presents its story, but it does it in an interesting way, and I end up really digging this movie, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, as even though this is my first viewing, I had to come in with a 4.5 out of 5 on this one. So that's all I really wanted to say in regards to this film. Pretty excited to see the next one, as I've never seen Spasmo, but I have seen a few films from the director just kind of randomly here and there. But can't wait to delve into that one and hear what you have to say about it, Duncan. This is David Garrett Jr. signing off. And thanks for submitting in that review, David. Always great to hear from you, my friend. It's great to hear that you're taking another one of those jellos off your list. So, 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 ladies and gents, uh, where do we go next? I know what you're thinking. Duncan, you said earlier on that you were going to change things up, and I am, because this is later day Jallo for sure. Now, granted, it's not as late as something like Tenebrae, uh, but it's past the point of Deep Red, so we're now kind of in the, the late 70s Jallo run, which feels more kind of police procedural at times. This one has a lot of things which I think make it a more unique experience as a giallo, but also has a conceit in it which I absolutely love and I can't wait to hear your views on it. I only saw it for the first time last year, uh, or maybe the year before, and it rapidly went from being a movie that I'd only heard bits and bobs about to, you know, right up there as one of my favourite kind of cold first-time watch giallo movies ever. The movie we'll be discussing on the next episode is The Pyjama Girl Case, a.k.a. The Girl in the Yellow Pyjamas from 1977. Uh, this is directed by Flavio Morgareni, and um, yeah, it's set in Australia as well, so it's not even set in Italy. Um, this one has some really interesting characters kind of behind the scenes doing stuff, including a pretty bitchin' score by Riz Ortiglione, uh, just a couple of years removed, uh, or sorry, a couple of years before, um, turning in one of his most iconic scores for a little movie called Cannibal Holocaust. So yeah, that's where we're going next, uh, is a little bit of the Pajama Girl case, and yeah, It'll be interesting to see what your thoughts are on it. In the UK, this one was distributed by Arrow Video. I don't know who distributed it in the States. I want to say it was also Arrow, but I might be wrong about that. But yeah, that's what we'll be covering in the next episode. That next episode will be coming Sunday, the 19th of July. We'll cover the Pajama Girl case and also do your reviews for Spasmo, which you need into me for Thursday the 16th of July. And with that, it brings us to the end of another episode. But remember, dear listeners, very much like the Jallo subgenre, anyone could be the killer. Even you. This is Duncan McLeish for Where to Begin with Jallo. And I will speak to you all in one month's time. <laughs>